are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 180. Like I said, we're going to cut this one into two. Obviously, you know, we, we covered, uh, obviously, Joe's news today that Joe Thomas has moved on. And, uh, you know, there's a microphone and a headset, you know, obviously waiting for him wherever he's headed. So, obviously, we'll all, you know, be eager to see where Joe's next move is. But, sadly, it is away from the confines of the football field for all Cleveland Browns fans. Uh, we were able to hit on all the, you know, pre-free agency trades, uh, give our analysis with that and our thoughts on that. Some good moves, some head scratchers. Uh, look, just, uh, you know, you have a new front office uh, trying to put their stamp here on a franchise. Uh, trying to idiot-proof the situation for a certain head coach that may still be employed. Another story for another day. Now we're going to get into seven fresh new faces, free agent-wise, have been brought in. And I guess we would put it at about maybe about 36, 38 hours now. Uh, joining us here for the second part, as was for the first, Pete Smith, NFL Spin Zone. Uh, I guess, Pete, maybe we'll kind of hit the ground running here. I guess... I kind of put this out yesterday. I had some word yesterday that Joe was going to retire. So when the Chris Hubbard announcement came out, I did put out a tweet and say, Bye, Joe. I had the person who sent me the information get right back to me and say, Cover that up. So that's kind of what went on with that tweet there. I guess we'll start here. And I do want to tip a cap. Our buddy Stephen Thomas, Chris Hubbard is a guy he's been kind of keen on. And really thought there might be a connection there, obviously, with the Haley edition. That really just picked up steam. So I guess we'll go ahead and hit the ground here. Uh, Chris Hubbard, offensive tackle, brought over from Pittsburgh. Getting paid a decent chunk of change. Obviously, he was a guy that Browns really targeted, went after hard, and were able to end up to get. So go ahead, Pete. Uh, Chris Hubbard is the most counterintuitive offensive tackle in the NFL. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, generally offensive tackles, you want tall... Uh, wide body guys, and, and Chris Hubbard is six three and a half, and he's two eighty five, um, which is you know there's a tight end in the draft that's built like that. Um, so I mean that's you know that's t- definitely not normal. But what makes Chris Hubbard interesting is that even in the AFC North, and and forget all the nonsense about you know it's tougher, blah 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 blah. Here's what it is though: it's bigger. Uh, defensive ends are enormous in the AFC North, so he uh, he filled in for Marcus Gilbert uh, and a couple other players at various times, uh, and he went up against some big big guys. I mean, the AFC North uh, just Cleveland obviously has Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogba. Uh, Cincinnati has Carlos Dunlap, who's a big guy, and and, and for the most part, uh, Hubbard was playing right tackle. Uh, the Ravens have a bunch of Big, big lineman, uh, defensive lineman. Now they have some smaller edge guys, but they, you know you're still going to see some of these big ends. Uh, so on that hand, it's pretty interesting that he's so well equipped to sort of be able to deal with those guys. But he does have a lot of quickness to deal with those speedy edge rushers, which you know there are some of those in this division. And then it, especially when you get outside of the division. Uh, you're going to see a lot more of those guys, and 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 you have to be able to. And you don't play Von Miller and Cleo Mack every week, but you've got to be able to block those guys, um, and that's always going to be difficult. The thing that makes Chris Hubbard uh, sort of curious here is where is he going to play? Joe Thomas obviously gone. Uh, 
I, I assume my natural assumption was Chris Hubbard will go left tackle and Sean Coleman will stay at right tackle and then I get a bunch of you know people in my mentions going well they you know Joe Thomas has been saying that they've been prepping Sean Coleman to be the left tackle uh, and and maybe they have been in which case that maybe they're going to keep Hubbard on the right side and and have Sean Coleman go over to the left and see if he can sort of hang with that but it's certainly interesting I think that sort of is symbolic of the entire free agent class and that so much less so than the trades where everything seems pretty cut and dry the free agents have as many questions maybe as they do answers and that's the thing with Hubbard yes now we're talking about we don't know who the left tackle is we know you probably have at worst we have a right tackle whether it's Sean Coleman whether it's Hubbard um, you know Drongo is here you know maybe he could play some right tackle uh, you know I think he did okay last year, but obviously he's not a guy you're going to, you know, you're just going to throw out there and just give him the job. There also is the option of, are you going to draft a guy? And look, here's the tough thing with Joe Thomas retiring when he did. Nate Solder was available as a left tackle. There's no other left tackles available in free agency. The offensive line class, if you want to go interior offensive line, it's a solid, solid class. If you're looking to replace a foundational 11-year left tackle, this maybe is not the year. Can you draft a guy on day two who, if everything works out right, could become one of those guys? Maybe you have that guy. But I I do, and we talked about this earlier today, Pete, I I think Sean Coleman's going to get that first shot outside, you know, as the left tackle. I think they're confident with Hubbard, you know, going to slide in. I do love the fact that they are keeping the focus on the offensive line, making it premium, putting solid money into it. You need to do it because, look, when you're a team that's going to consistently, for the most part, could be running out young quarterbacks, you got to make sure you know he's seeing as you know seeing a least amount of gun activity at his feet, at his head, as possible. So I, I love the fact that they are sticking with that, even though it's a new front office. Uh, give me a name or two here, Pete. Second round, who all of a sudden may not have been a, a presence. But now, you know, left tackle, who's a guy you like in the second round? I know Oakwood 4 is a guy we've, we've discussed on the show before. Yeah, I, if, if out of the guys I've seen, uh, Chooks Okorafor has maybe the most potential to be that guy. Uh, I think he needs to retest a few things pro day-wise. But it's really hard to go against someone like that who's, and this is, you know, this illustrates just how sort of unusual Chris Hubbard is is that uh, Okorafor is 6'5", 330 and he's 21 years old. Like he was, I mean that's just enormous at that size uh, and he's you know draft class with some 24, 25 year old guys uh, and, and if you believe in him and you basically believe in the idea that by the time he's you know 23 uh, that he's going to be you know the dominant player that if he was still in college at that point he'd be you know throwing guys around, then then you can talk yourself into them. The guy I really like, who I don't think will go that early, I think will probably be sitting there on day three, is Will Richardson. Uh, he uh, He's another guy from NC State who has a lot of players. It's, it's becoming apparent why NC State is very good. Um, he's got that size. He's got those movement skills. He's really, really tall, but he doesn't look it. Uh, he carries a weight really well. He's a broad-bodied guy, and he just 
beats people up. I mean, he's just really good. And and if whether you believe that uh, Coleman or Hubbard is going to be that left tackle, if they want to bring in another guy, uh, because I think the writing's on the wall for a bunch of these guys, uh, namely uh, Zach Banner and, and maybe Rod Johnson, who may never play it down as a Brown in preseason, uh, you know, beyond preseason. Uh, that could be somebody who's intriguing, but I think what the Browns really did is they made it so uh, they don't have to take a tackle, and they can basically say, and, and I think that's why some of these offensive linemen got as much money as they did, uh, as tends to happen, is a lot of these teams are just saying, no thank you on this draft class, we'll just sign guys because they're ready to play now. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the biggest advantage Solder had, because people were, oh my God, the money, the money, the money. There was only one left tackle in free agency, and we're not sure if there's a day one starting left tackle in this draft. So, guys, that's why he got the money he did. The thing with Richardson, and now he's an intriguing name, and I went back and peeked a little bit after we had told you. I know you had put him up. You, you, you put him out on the timeline today. North Carolina State is going to have four defensive linemen drafted in this draft. Will Richardson is is tested. He's ready. He's not. He may not be a day one starter, but uh, you know. Bradley Chubb and, and, and Hill. I mean, he's seen he's seen every type of defensive lineman there is. People are in love with the four guys from NC State that are going in this draft. You know, this, the situation is not going to be too big for him. So definitely an interesting name that Pete brought up there. Uh, I guess we'll just stick with the offensive line motif here. Donald Stevenson brought in here. Now, now obviously, this is your swing. This is definitely the swing tackle here. Uh, you know, this is another one where you know maybe a guy like Drago might be in a little bit of trouble too. But Stevenson brought in obviously a guy who's familiar with the front office. Yeah, I mean he uh, was drafted uh, by the Chiefs, uh, not by uh, Dorsey, but by Pioli. Uh, but nevertheless, Dorsey has some familiarity with him. He was kind of a dumpster fire with the Broncos. Uh, but the way the deal's structured, I don't think Donald Stevenson is guaranteed a spot on the final fifty-three. Um, I think they gave themselves a nice option uh, in case of injury, or maybe he'll just beat somebody out. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least if, if you know, this becomes a very painless signing where he either can't do it physically, or they just, you know, he just loses out and they've got better options. And, and it, he he just becomes a nice insurance policy. And and the other part of that, and and, and you know, I don't know if any of his money's guaranteed, but. I assume none of it is, is you can't get enough offensive line bodies in camp. Um, and if he's credible, and, and I can't remember the guy the Browns had a couple of years from the Bears that fit this role. They brought him in just for a little while, and it was just uh, just to have somebody credible on that second team to uh, stick in there, the kid out of UAB. So Stevenson, you know, I, I would not promise him. I, I don't think he's promised anything. And the the kid who I think may sneak in and beat some of these guys out that nobody's heard of is is Christian Snyder, uh, who's brought over by the Packer from the Packers, uh, who's only a second year guy out of UC Davis, who's a tackle, who's really athletic, and he's only twenty two. So it, it's a strength and numbers approach. I mean, you're going to end up with your eight or nine. But look, you want it to be as deep as possible going in. Guys, you're listening to Locked On Browns, episode 180. Uh, guys, we're not far away. We're about uh, two weeks away from opening day of Major League Baseball. The best part about it for me is, guys, it just accelerates the process to the draft. Uh, you know, so many draft takes. And you see the timeline now. Everybody's just kind of getting ordinary. 
uh, just, you know, everyone's kind of had it. But look, we've got to wait out till April 26th. That's the way it works. Lockdown MLB's got you covered. Go ahead, find your favorite team. Go ahead, follow along and listen. Uh, I guess we'll stick with the offensive side of the ball here, Pete. Uh, you know, I tell you what, we'll go the tight end first because I know you're happy with this. You know, you're happy with the addition of Mr. Daniel Fells before we get to the running back. But Daniel Fells, solid blocker. This is what it needs. I mean, you have two athletic young tight ends. Blocking is not their M.O. It's probably never going to be their M.O. But look, at the end of the day, you need a guy. And I, I, I like the fact that the Browns went out and prioritized it. And look, they're, they're, they're going to be running the ball, whether it's Tyrod Taylor, whether it's the rookie quarterback, Sam Donald, Josh Rosen, be it who it is. There's going to be some running of the ball. Someone's going to be at it there as well, guys. We'll get to that another time. But I, I love that they prioritized this and said, you know, you are great in what you do, and we value what you do. Come on in. So it's Darren Fells, and I did the same thing, which shows how old we're oh, getting. his brother. Uh, yeah, that we both remember Daniel Fells. Uh, but Darren Fells is big. He's just a big, big guy. He's 6'7". Uh, he can block. And, and the amount of... And, and to me, I, I said this was the best signing to that point that they had made, and I and I take all the dollars and cents into account with it. You're paying this guy next to nothing uh, to to give you some credibility in terms of double tight end sets and some variability in terms of you. You know, David Njoku is a guy you want to be a what, and that's awesome. Uh, but now you have Invels who can come in there and be a Y and go true double tights which is always nice, especially down short goal line, whatever. And then you can also go, because he's so long at the position, it really helps if you want to do things like reach block, and he just needs to get out and seal off guys to be able to bring plays uh, towards the sideline and things like that. For a guy like Duke Johnson, this gives you a little bit more penis and some options. And, and, I, and I think uh, this spells trouble for... Uh, Randall Telfer, who did sort of what he had been doing, and has a nicer body for that position and doesn't, you know, he, he can catch a ball every so often. And, and if you're, especially down near the red zone, and you've got guys like Duke Johnson out of the backfield, uh, Njoku, and, and some of these other guys flying around near the goal line, you know, you've got this six seven guy who can sort of run two feet, turn around, and he's sitting there for an easy touchdown. That's always, you know, a nice little option to have. So I... I like that type of signing where, again, it, the last part about this is blocking tight ends are so hard to find anymore. Yep. You can't just go out and draft them because so many schools aren't really teaching them like that. You basically have to go to schools like Michigan and Stanford, uh, and even Stanford's not doing it as much as they used to, uh, where you've got to get guys who have been in the league a while, who really have learned how to block, who have really grown in their body, who can block a grown-ass man across the room, and, and Darren Fells is somebody who could do that. And, and that's what makes the addition so good. And like you said, it's not taught. And, you know, these guys, you know, a lot of them, you know, they kind of were two big wide receivers. So they were never asked to, you know, put a hand in the dirt and learn how to compete at that level with getting nasty with it. And, look, every team at the end of the day, you kind of need one. And I do love the fact that he's, uh, maybe I'll use the term, uh, uh, an oopsie-daisy receiver, where, you know, you almost forget the fact that he's eligible to catch a pass and all of a sudden, everybody's like, well, you know, they forgot their assignment that that was him because he's not normally going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of passes. But it also, you know, it's going to help on the goal line and in red zone, like you said. It gives more strength to, you know, your power, your third in ones, your third in shorts, 
your fourth and goals, be it as it may. He's going to get in there. He's going to get nasty. You have two other tight ends. If you want to play action from those sets, you have viable options now. And look, I mean, Fells is not going to be the guy that's going to be there. If people are looking to Val, they're going to look at, you know, Duke. They're going to look at, obviously, David Najoku. And, you know, he can do, a, you know, the old the throwback where it's, you know, the fall to a knee, cross back across the field, and nobody's going to think to cover him because, I mean, he is almost an extension of the offensive line. So, you know, obviously, Darren Fells, that was a great, uh, great pickup for them. And I love the fact that they prioritized. And this also is probably going to aid to the fact that, look, the offensive line, it, it's going to miss a beat because Joe Thomas isn't there. So what do you do? You go out and get yourself a solid run-blocking tight end to assist whatever additions you know, are going to have to be made because obviously some guys are going to be moving around on that offensive line. Now, last one on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Pete, uh, Carlos Hyde. Uh, and, you know, I... I don't know how big this is, but apparently it's a big thing. The Browns, don't do Buckeyes, whatever it is. Guys, I don't care. Just get good football players. I don't care what school they came from. But Carlos Hyde, uh, you know, me, I'm a fan. Of, I'm a fan of the guy. I don't think they overpaid by any means. I think Carlos Hyde is a serviceable running back. I don't think it changes any plans as far as the arguments me and Pete have had running back-wise for probably about three months now. But Carlos Hyde, uh, you know, find his way back to Ohio. Carlos Hyde is fine. The issue to me, if you if you're gonna, it's the option not taken here. And to me, uh, I don't think it's a great business plan to sign 27 year old running backs who were never that good in the first place. <laughs> um, and 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 everybody said, and as you're 100 percent right, they're still gonna draft a running back. My argument is they should draft two because this is the class to do it in. This class is absolutely loaded. So if you take a guy, and God forbid you take Barkley at four, or you take one of these guys in the second round, of, of which there are many, and then you come back on day three and one of these guys is falling, like the kid out of Fordham, or Jarvie Franklin, Jarvie Franklin out of one of the directional Michigans, um, they to and and people don't like analytics and all this, but they project to be better football players than Hyde does, and you're going to pay them less, and there's no expectations or anything else. So it's not that Carlos Hyde is bad. I mean, I, I'll stand by it. Isaiah Crowell was better. Uh, obviously, you know, that was chased out of town by a guy who's never going to, you know, if, if Crowell ever sees Hugh again, he may punch him in the face. Um, <laughs> but... And, and, and certainly there's a hope that, that Carlos Hyde will fit better in this offense uh, with Todd Haley, but it's just going to come back that um, if Carlos Hyde struggles or he gets hurt or whatever, and you know we're, we're watching the season play out and we're seeing all these rookie running backs go off and people are going, well, why isn't my guy doing that? And you, Because this is the ch- path you chose. Again, it doesn't make him bad. And it does fit into the idea of addressing a need so you can just pick good players in the draft. But again, historic running back class. From Saquon Barkley down to Chase Edmonds, Jarvin Franklin, to God only knows how many other guys, there are going to be tons of backs. So it's not so much that Carlos Hyde is a bad football player. He isn't. He's not great. But it's you could have had two really good football players uh, and paid nothing for both of them. There's still essentially nothing stopping them. Obviously, there could be some maneuverability in the draft. 
Um, and to get yourself a veteran, I, I'm not against it. I, I'm okay with this signing. Uh, you know, maybe it means uh, you know, obviously the other NC State kid, the running back on the roster. Maybe it means the end of the road for him. Uh, you have Duke, who's well established in his role. But at the end of the day, you know, bringing in a veteran to a backfield that's going to, you know, you're going to have somebody to groom. I'm not going to get that upset about it, Pete. And you want to know what? As deep as this running back class is, there are some UFA, UFA guys, you know, and you probably could steal somebody there too. And at the end of the day, look, iron sharpens iron. Talent's always going to win out. So that's an interesting theory there. Guys, I agree, but here's one, one thing. Right just, look at what, just, look at, hey, just look at what the Packers did last year. They took the kid out of BYU, and then they took uh, Aaron, Jones. The kid out of, Aaron Jones out of UTEP. Paid nothing for either of them, just took two day three guys. Uh, and, and BYU kid's all right, but Aaron Jones, he looks great. Uh, unfortunately, got hurt at the end of the year, but that's just sort of an example. Like the, They have people in that front office who have literally done what I'm suggesting. Yep, I agree with you. And look, you know, Jamal Williams. That's look. That's a story for another day. Um, his mom. Look, we don't talk anymore. She was not very fond of me during last year's process, draft process. But Aaron Jones family, they liked me a lot. I'm a big Aaron Jones fan guy, so they like me. Uh, uh, yes, he is. Yes, and his parents. You know, his family. They were nice. They loved my tweets. Jamal Williams family, not the same thing. Uh, but <laughs> we're gonna switch it on over, guys. If you listen to the megaphone app. Uh, I do appreciate it, but uh, guys, if it's iTunes or Spotify, whatever your choice is, go ahead and subscribe now. Please leave that five-star review. You know, nice little you know write-up of how fantastic I am, and you can tolerate Pete being out these episodes. I appreciate it, guys. Pete, we're going to switch on over to the defensive side of the ball now. A uh, couple cornerbacks, uh, pass rushing, uh, pass rushing specialist in a nickel and dime scenario. I guess we'll go first here, Chris Smith. Arkansas, uh, it, it was kind of an interesting path for him. You know, he had some very strong promise during the draft process, but there were a lot of people that said he's a tweener. I'm not sure what to do with him, but he, he found his way here, and you know, he got himself to a free agency contract with, with, with some pretty good money attached to it for a guy who people weren't sure if he had a home. You know, as a tweener, but Chris Smith, Arkansas, former Cincinnati Bengal. So this is one where if you look at his stat sheet, you're going to be like, why the hell did they sign this guy? Right. Because he, he's never put up a ton of big numbers in terms of sacks. He had three with the Bengals last year, but he puts a ton of pressure on quarterbacks. Uh, so he's nice in terms of that team feel. I'm curious to see how, how the Browns plan to use him because the Bengals actually used him a lot as mm-hmm. an inside guy where he was more of an outside guy with with the Jags. Um, if I think the the bottom line is is where this thing is headed, and, and, and you and I both basically believe that they're going to pick Bradley Chubb if he's there at four. Um, they want to be sub-package nuts on teams, and they want to get to a point where it's going to be Miles Garrett, Emmanuel Ogba, Chris Smith, and Bradley Chubb are on the field at the same time, and it's just a question of how they're going to line them up to get after the quarterback. And that's really interesting. So I'm curious to see how I – mean, as far as you know, the quality of the signing, if this is your fourth defensive end, it's great. I mean, it's it's this is what you want from that spot. I mean, you, you can make the argument that you'd love a young guy for that, 
Uh, but they got nothing out of Nate Orchard. They got nothing out of my boy Ty Holmes last year, who I who I thought they should have looked at more. Uh, they got even less out of LeVar Edwards, which I don't even know why they bothered with that. Uh, and now the question is going to be, you know, Carl Nassib, who I personally think they should keep, only because he can sort of be a little bit of an end, a little bit of a tackle, and give you some looks. But they, the way they're built, it's just going to be uh, a few true defensive tackles, it looks like, and just a bunch of pass rushers. Which, I mean, you want to, you want to create the helter-skelter scenario. And Chris Smith kind of fits, you know, guys, I, I've mentioned for every episode we've kind of done here when we talked about the D-line, is an Elmas Dumerville type, a guy who can just consistently get into the backfield. He may not always get home, which is fine, because if you surround him with other studs, those guys are going to get home. So you imagine that package of Agba, and you know, and look, I agree with Pete. If you don't move on from four, and we're kind of cool, well, we're kind of cool for moving on from four. I have my sights on a Jairi Alexander. Pete wants a you know Harold Landry. All good. Look, guys, we're only arguing about great players in that scenario. But he's a guy who can consistently get to the backfield, and you know he's shown to create a little havoc. And now, if this is a guy, you know, you're paying minimal money to. And, he, you know, even with that dime scenario that Pete brought you, he's the fourth option there. So, look, I mean, there's any way you can do it. And, you know, each week it'll be different, varying on the situations. You know, the offensive lines are going against. Look, when they play the division games, they're probably going to go completely opposite and completely rogue from what they did the first time they played them. Just keep switching it up with athletes who show they can get in and create a difference. So that was the, that was the importance of the signing of Chris Smith. And it was interesting for him. And look, a guy who already has you know six one and change, around between two fifty and two sixty. But look, he's found himself a niche here. And he's a guy. Look, he's he's not he's not going to be a starter, but he's a guy who's going to give everything he's got on the snaps that he's given, which is going to be in a nickel and dime scenario. And now, apparently, this was this was his first choice. This is where he wanted to play, based on the way the Browns were going with the defensive line. Well, that's all the more better. Now you now and look at this, guys. You have people. Putting Cleveland as a number one destination for themselves, who aren't from Cleveland, so that's a good sign, guys. They're hopefully starting to turn around. Pete, this is where things kind of get dicey when we go to these cornerbacks. Um, again, I think this is another one like the offensive line, like the defensive line. Now we're here looking at this, you know, I guess the secondary slash cornerback unit where they're going deep as possible. And look, there's guys who are not guaranteed spots. It's just the way it's going to work. Uh, a Terrence Mitchell, obviously, you know, came up from Kansas City, four interceptions last year, not a bad year. T.J. Carey uh, over from the Oakland Raiders. A couple thoughts on these two. Uh, Terrence Mitchell, obviously, Dorsey, you know, picked him, uh, and and the four interceptions sort of fits what you're talking about with Darius Demarius Randall, and that he's a guy who's going to try to make a play on the ball. That seems to be something they want. Um, I don't know how it, it wasn't a substantial investment in him, so it sort of seems more, more along the lines of a little bit of a shot, uh, which is fine. Uh, TJ Carey's the one that's interesting. Uh, he's certainly not a bad football player. This, the the amount he got was a little surprising. Uh, it seems to be very it's very front loaded, which is good. Uh, but both of these corners really feel along the lines of. John Dorsey's sort of gambling, and that and that doesn't make him make it bad. It just uh, he's hoping to bet that these guys are about to 
come into their own or get better as opposed to betting on guys still having something left. And given where the Browns are, certainly you'd rather the, the go with the young guy and hope they work out route as opposed to going the old guy still have something left route. Um, so the thing I don't understand with people talking about T.J. Carey is they didn't sign him for that contract to play the slot. Um, and he started this last year on the outside for the Raiders. Um, the other part of that is obviously their best corner this past year was their slot corner, Albert yep. Buddy Calhoun. So it wouldn't make much sense to spend the most money out of any corner on a guy to sort of take his job. You know, you spend that money because you want somebody who's going to be on the field all the time. Um, this does, you know, I, I thought Jamar Taylor's days were numbered before all this happened. Um, now it becomes a question of Jamar Taylor, Jason McCourty perhaps uh, being gone, perhaps Howard Wilson being gone, who's, you know, had the injury last year, so he never even suited up for a preseason game. Um, it's going to be a cutthroat contest, and I'm curious to see if the Browns try to trade somebody, and I'm not expecting them to get a pick. It would be more of a player-for-player player, guy we aren't going to use for a guy you aren't going to use type deal. Uh, basically the Kaiser Demarius Randall thing on a much smaller scale and hopefully you you know get get somebody at a shot for a position you're gonna use you have a use for um, but you know again this comes back to the idea of addressing needs now so you can take players in the draft because a lot of people when the corners flew off the board and, and this was the only thing I was hoping for out of free agency was to get a a, a pretty good corner, and I don't know if that's happened or not, but um, they went down the batting order pretty much through everybody and ended up with these guys. But again, now they're not forced into needs and people are panicking, thinking, oh, they've got to take a corner at four. They absolutely do not have to do that. Uh, and if there's somebody they like in that second round, and I think there should be, or maybe later, they can grab a guy like that and, and, and bring them in and bring in more competition because I hope they're answer isn't only to go with um, uh, free agents from other teams. I'm hoping they're going to bring in some of their own uh, and, and and build from within a little bit and Calhoun's going to be a free agent after this year and I'm hoping they plan to extend him because he's really, really good. Well, if they're smart, the, the, the Calhoun negotiations will start as soon as possible because he puts up another year like he did uh, in 17. It, it, it could get pricey. Um, and the other thing is, look, you know, I don't know if there's with the list of cornerbacks they have now. I don't know if there's there probably is not a number one cornerback on this roster. So that is still a position that is probably going to be you know of of great need on their draft board. Whether it's a Denzel Ward, whether it's a Jairi Alexander, if you want to dip down a little bit to a Carlton Davis, who's I probably was a guy you were probably you know hinting on, and you know uh, whether it's Stewart out of North Carolina. You know, but the other thing is you can bring these guys in and not have to. You know, if they have things they need to work on, you don't have to push them from day one. Uh, Mr. McCordy, Mr. Taylor, yeah, those guys uh, probably should be a little bit nervous. And if a quarterback, if a cornerback is drafted 33, 35, or God forbid they go, you know, the route of you know three first round picks, uh, I think McCordy very well. It could be a one and done here in Cleveland. So it's going to be interesting how that plays out as far as the cornerback position. But again, this isn't you know. Like I stress, this is another position where they're going strength in numbers. Come on in, battle it out. I'm going to keep five. I'm going to keep six. Whoever the best ones are, those are the ones who are going to stay. So I, I do love the fact that they are bringing the competition aspect to this roster, Pete. 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's certainly uh, an element of let's see who can let's see who can go out there and fight for this, uh, and there's certainly no harm in that. And everybody's obviously, uh, you know, if somebody gets hurt or whatever, I mean, there's obviously now a risk team. You don't have a situation where if one guy goes down, uh, not even just a camp where you're, you know, second and third string guys just can't give you a look. Especially in the draft type of corner they're looking for, it really does seem like they want zone corners. I can see, you know, if there's something they're specifically targeting, which is why I, I've never ruled out the possibility that, that Derwin James could be in the mix because if he, if they like, you know, big, tall, strong corners, uh, and obviously he's a safety, would be making the transition, but if they put him through a private workout and love what he can do, he's such a fantastic man cover in the middle of the field, giving him a sideline may only help him. Uh, but I, I just want to see, I guess I just want to see how this secondary is going to look because, I mean, you know, it's Jabril Peppers, Demarius Randall, and then Brian Body Calhoun is your slot corner, and then the perimeter guys, it's, I have no idea other than, you know, TJ Carey is obviously going to have, uh, you know, the strongest shot of being a starter simply on money. But after that, you're just sort of, who's this other guy going to be? Very interesting. Now, um, we do have some listener questions. It seems we kind of already kind of addressed this for the first two episodes, but I do have this one. Um, all right, we'll go with this. Brandon King, he's one of the biggest supporters I have of this show. Brandon, again, always thank you. Appreciate your support. Thoughts on potentially trading up again into the first round? And who are Pete and Jeff's realistic options at 33 and 35? Go ahead, Pete. So it really depends. Here's the thing. If depending on how things start to fall, there could be either a glut of guys that all look really good in those twenties, or there could be like, you know, a, a choice few. Like if, for example, if you and I are obviously have talked about. I love Harold Landy. You love Jair, Jair Alexander. I think we we both love the other guy too. But it, you know, we may end up being much higher on them than the NFL is. So if those two guys start slipping. Or Mike Jacecki starts slipping, or DJ Moore starts slipping, um, then you could certainly see the team move up for one of those if they like them. Um, you know, realistic targets for 33-35. You know, I'd, I'm still holding out hope for the dream of DJ Moore, and failing that, I would take Mike Jacecki and I'd make him a wide receiver um, because that's what he is. And then, you know, that second pick, I'd have there'd be absolutely no shame in taking. Nick Chubb, Royce Freeman, though this this latest move with Hyde may uh, allow them to sort of be patient on that. I, but I'm wondering if they feel good about their corner position, if that entire second round is going to be nothing but offense. That could be interesting the way it works out. For me, 33-35, I'm just going to go with that nothing has been moved. So, uh, guys, look, I'm not going to change. Uh, Sony Michelle, that's, you know, bring that dog to the pound. That's my guy. Uh, a cornerback that I think, and it's tough to say, oh, we'll take this cornerback because he fits Greg Williams. Because, look, I mean, this coaching staff, it, it, it you know, it, it's, I don't want to say on thin ice, but, yeah, it's kind of on thin ice. A lot can change quickly. If they win six games, it becomes very appealing to go get yourself a brand-name coach. But at Carlton Davis, uh, you know, the guy's got a dog in that 33-35 range. In Jairi Alexander, and I think he got to be in the twenties. So that that type of thing I'll put there. And there is one more uh, now from Brandon. 
even if Chubb is on the board at four, where would you be willing to drop if you wanted to move you know, away from Bradley Chubb because the compensation was great? Is low teens, is you know, Buffalo twelve and twenty two, is that acceptable? I I'm all for the Buffalo deal. Uh, yeah. The question is, I'm happy with the Jets or the Bills. I'd love to move down in either scenario. I don't know who else would, you know, theoretically even be in the picture at that point. Uh, but that, to me, uh, based on my evaluation, uh, the Browns and I expect Dorsey and Greg Williams probably prefer Brad Shaw because he's such a big body and they have a. You know, that's sort of a proclivity for them. But if you can move down to 12, gain a bunch of assets, whether it's that 22nd pick or maybe it's a first-round pick next year and a second this year or some some other combination of things, uh, I would absolutely run the card up for Harold Landry. And what makes that interesting is if you have Chris Smith and you want to put him inside now, that you have this, you have uh, a situation with Garrett, Landry on the outside potentially or Landry and Ogba on the outside and you just have a never-ending pass rush uh, because Harold Landry is just a freaky speedy Dwight Freeney type guy uh, in how he operates. And, and that's this is the one I actually like. I think I prefer the Buffalo deal better because if you, know, we, you get to where it's one overall, it's 12, it's 22, you're putting yourself in a position where you could walk away with both of Pete and our guys in Harold Landry, in Jairi Alexander. And look, if that's what you walk away with is quarterback of choice at one, and you can walk away with Landry and Jairi Alexander, and now all of a sudden, that second round, like Pete said, you're going receiver, you're going running back, you're doing whatever you want. You've, you've, my God, have you furnished the new house and you've made it damn, damn pretty. Guys, I appreciate you so much. Uh, you know, between episode 179 with Pete and now 180, we've got you covered to this point. Obviously, some moves are still going to be made. Some free agents out there. Nothing's going to bring the you know bite that these first you know 40 hours or so have. Pete, anything you know, guys should be looking out for as far as you know work you got coming out here soon. Uh, lately, I've been pumping out uh, draft profiles of guys I think the Browns should target based entirely on my evaluation and, and how they fit the Browns as opposed to any other team. Uh, so I've been doing a few of those. I got the, the, the Cousins Chubb done. Uh, who else did I do? Uh, and Mike Jusecki, because I love Mike Jusecki. Yeah, Pete loves his jersey. Pete loves his jersey. Guy. But I, uh, by all means, follow Pete Smith. Uh, NFL Spin Zone covers the Browns over there. Pound West, I will dog pound Pete's the great defense boy maker uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, as far as the show itself, go ahead and follow the Lockdown Browns account. Guys, I appreciate all you do for me, all this you've given me. Me, personally, follow me at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, guys, look, this show only exists because of you and the strength you give to it. So, again, always props to all of you guys. At the end of the day, this show can only be what you guys let me make it be. So, guys, uh, you know, we got more coming. we got a lot coming. April 26th isn't as far away as it appears, but I appreciate everything. Have yourself a great night, everybody. Go Browns.